Listener supported. WNYC Studios. WQXR. In conversation. When we listen to singing, here's some things we think we want. Clean runs, polished lines, you know, beautiful singing. The human voice is an instrument, though, and it comes with all sorts of perfect imperfections. And Lucy DeGray embraces that. We met up in March, pre-COVID, of course, and we talked about her unique approach to singing, living in Parisis, and her projects, Resonant Bodies and the Processing Series. I'm James Bennett, and this is WQXR Classical New York, in conversation with Lucy DeGray. Will there be any stars, any stars in my crown? When at evening the sun goeth down. What is the processing series, and what isn't it? The processing series is, as my friend John Jarbo calls it, an emotional obstacle course. (laughs) And it's four concerts that look at one's response to trauma. So it's not looking at the traumatic event itself, but it's looking at the journey that happens after the traumatic event. It's not therapy. It's not catharsis. It's also not a straight ahead concert. Is there anything else that you want the audience to engage with as they're listening and hearing what's going on on stage? I think everyone will engage with their own response to trauma. Trauma is, you know, like capital T trauma is an umbrella term for many, many, many things that happen in our life. Finding someone who has not been affected by trauma, I I dare you. You know, we've all been through different kinds of trauma. And so I think there's something universal that we can all react to. And, And I really want the audience to, I guess, recognize in themselves their own process, what they've done, you know, and, and I think I can relate to a lot of people's processing journey in a way, not dealing with it, dealing with it, blowing up <laughs> rage, uh, just out and out depression, you know, wanting to sing about it, not being able to find words, things like that. So I was reading this New York Times profile from, I want to say, October of last year, maybe November, that chronicled your paresis and the subsequent search for, like, your literal singing voice. And it mentioned that you had found these two scientific articles that really spoke to you. Can you tell me about that scientific journey, if you want to call it that, and how it shapes your work and what you do? Yeah, so I was... uh pre-med major at University of Michigan in my undergraduate, so I was dual degree voice and pre-med. I'd already decided that I wanted to go into laryngology if I was going to be a doctor, which was pretty much the straight ahead path. I was not planning on being a musician. It was like, this is just this fun thing and we'll see where this goes. So I had done already a lot of reading in the Journal of Voice as a student and was pretty proficient in reading these kind of thick, jargony medical articles. So when I got this diagnosis of paresis and my doctor told me, well, it could have come from a cold, I thought, well, that's kind of what you have to tell a lay person. But like if I were a medical professional, what could I know more about this? So I just kind of went back and I just looked for any article I could find on paresis, any article I could find on vocal loss or really just anything. I mean, I just read articles kind of nonstop for like three days. <laughs> and I came across a couple articles that talked about how survivors of sexual assault who had not spoken out about it would have this 
loss of voice. And though the articles weren't talking about paresis necessarily, they were talking about muscular dysphonia. There was just a reckoning within me and with the other research that I was doing at the time, like it just kind of made this big chart and noticed this downturn at a certain point. Um, it all just came together for me. And I don't know how else to describe it, but it was just that deep inner knowing where you're like, that's it, that's the node. I was watching or listening to this interview that you did for uh, New Music Box. You had mentioned that there, in the human voice, there are these croaks and groans and wheezes and sighs, and all of that is part of the, the human experience. But that got me thinking, you think about, I guess, in the classical tradition of like bel canto singing, uh, singing. there's this desire, I suppose, to smooth all of that over and to make all of those imperfections perfect or eliminate them entirely. Why do you think we as humans, we as listeners, we as creators want to make those imperfections either go away or not acknowledge them at all? And, and you do, which makes it, you know, all the more interesting to me as a listener. I think we are obsessed, especially in classical music, with virtuosity. So there's this virtuosic, superhuman thing that a lot of performers can do where they just go above and beyond. They're always beautiful, right? And we have this kind of obsession with perfection, I think. But there's another kind of virtuosity available, which is the virtuosity of vulnerability and of accepting of all parts of yourself and being able to really express those. So that's really what I'm interested in. And I'm extremely grateful to have found the genre or avenue of experimental contemporary vocal music where all of those sounds are available and acceptable and you should not just use this tiny sliver on one end of the spectrum of beautiful, right? And I think what's beautiful is what's true, right? So that to me is what I'm trying to capture in these shows as well. Well, I mean, that kind of brings me to this point that I've also been thinking of and I don't, it's like, it's not a take, it's not an articulation of something, but it's just kind of like a truth, I think that new music, contemporary music, it has this this rap for being inaccessible. And I don't like that word, but I do understand where people are coming from when they do say that. Even though, to be fair, I've personally never heard anyone say, huh, that's inaccessible, I don't like it. But there just seems to be this reputation that new music has. Can you explain what makes new music appealing to you? To start with, as a young singer, I had a really hard time finding repertoire that fit my voice. There's this system called the Fach system. Fach means type. Soprano, mezzo, tenor, baritone, bass, right? Those are kind of the basic types. But then within those, there's dramatic soprano, lyric soprano, coloratura soprano. My voice did not fit a Fach. And I'm, I mean major Fach. It's like mezzo or soprano. I was not one. When I discovered that there were composers who were making pieces and I could basically give them the specs, essentially, of my voice and they would write a piece that fit that, it just blew my mind. <laughs> and I thought, like, oh, this is the answer. This is obviously what I have to do. There was another part of it where I just wanted to be making stuff. Like, I wanted to be part of the culture that was shaping what was happening now, you know, and, and of shaping where this culture went, right, and representing 
my time, my people, me. Do you think that being a part of that cultural moment, of that creative moment of what's going on right now, do you think that is de-emphasized at all in, I guess, musical training? Absolutely. It's it's all about being able to recreate something that is old, that happened. And, you know, as kind of a, I don't know, a lifelong contrarian, I had a real problem <laughs> with uh, everyone else around me being an expert in what I was doing besides me and that I was never possibly going to reach the level of expertise that they had. So when you're in an opera and you're doing like a Rossini opera, you know, the dramaturg knows more than you. The diction coach knows more than you. Probably all your peers are, have done more opera than you have. And and in new music, you're the first one ever to sing it. It's coming out of your mouth. You were probably involved in the creative process. It's probably influenced by who you are as a human. So you are the expert and you get to say, which I think just, again, it goes back to something that artistically I'm very interested in, which is like, how can I listen to my inner knowing, right? My instincts, my knowledge that I have innately and that I've gathered and trust that rather than searching from outside of me and trying to fit myself into something that I'm not. Are there any pieces that you can think of that can upend that stereotype that new music faces? I mean, one piece that I really love is Chris Trapani's Water Lines, which I've done a bunch and recorded. I don't think it's, quote, inaccessible, but, you know, my, my ears are, are biased. And also, you know, I have to say, that, like, as a teenager, I just, I loved death metal. I loved n- kind of noisy, gritty, like, nails on a chalkboard type sounds. So that's just kind of like an aesthetic for me. I like something that's kind of unpleasant. If, if you're interested in music in general, there's a composer living today who is just going to rock your world. Mr. Wild Water Wild. Can you talk at all about like the physiology of what's going on when you're singing music versus when you're listening to it? Well, I was just talking with someone last night about how they've done research that when you listen to other people sing, your vocal cords sympathetically vibrate and your muscles are are working in the same way (laughs) as a singer on stage. So I was just saying, because I'm someone with paresis, that means that I have a more of a sprinter than a long distance runner with my voice. So I have to be really careful with vocal use in general. I have to kind of met it out carefully and thoughtfully. So I have to be careful, actually, if I'm listening to a lot of vocalists, I'm I'm tending a lot of vocal music. It's almost the same for me as practicing. When I'm singing, I am trying to connect with this really deep, raw animal place, right? I don't like the kind of listening to music that I think can be encouraged sometimes, which is a cerebral intellectual listening. I always want to be listening and attending a concert in a kind of like, I don't know, primitive way. Um, I don't necessarily want to think about the structure. I don't want to think about the ideas. I just want to be in the music. So for me, when I sing, yeah, it's another kind of 
screaming in a way. <laughs> it's, it's very raw emotionally. And though I may have language attached to it, there's something that goes well beyond the language and the words to me that I experience and I hope also the listeners experience. Will there be any stars, any stars in my crown? When at evening the sun goeth down. What role does language play in that experience? And also going back to this classical tradition, what does knowing what's being said as a speaker or interpreter of that language, how does it impact the emotion of what you're hearing or how does it impact that experience in general? For me, language is kind of the outer layer of what you're seeing on stage. And then there's what's happening to that word, right? So David Lang is a composer who does this really well. He has this piece called um, I Want to Live Where You Live from Shelter. And each time it's repeated, which must be like hundreds of times in this one piece, it changes the meaning. I want to live where you live. I want to live where you live. I want to live where you live, right? So there's different ways to say it. And that brings out different emotional layers within those words, within that sentence, within that feeling. What I think that singing can do to language is that it can just bring out the entire spectrum of emotions behind that one word. What is the Resident Bodies Festival? Resident Bodies Festival is an annual vocal music festival where we feature contemporary vocalists and we give them carte blanche to present works of their choice. Is the festival as it exists now, or as it will have existed at the end of eight years, how different is that from what you imagined it to be when you started back in 2012? When I started it, it was really just a one-off thing and I thought oh this is cool we've come up with a thing and if people like it you know maybe we'll do it again and immediately we're like oh we're definitely gonna do this again I'm so thrilled at how widely it has reached through the world really I've gotten so many amazing connections with singers literally all over the world and that is so thrilling to know that there is what I thought that there is which is there's this vibe of people doing adventurous creative stuff in every part of vocal music all over the world and, and that that was really what I wanted to do was to connect them and now we kind of have had a place to come together. Do you think that starting ResVods and like seeing it through did that fill a void? Absolutely, it filled a void. And and I felt it as a as a young singer. One, I felt that I didn't have opportunities to present works that I wanted to present. And so people were only going to know me based on the offers that I was getting. So I'm in a reactive place rather than a proactive kind of creative space. No one knew each other as far as I could tell. And I really wanted everyone to to know what everyone was doing because as in like a group of scientists or anyone being creative, if you don't know what's happening, Everyone's kind of like recreating what I would call like Meredith Monk's process, which was amazing. But we have Meredith Monk, so we can kind of start from there and keep going. And then I felt that there was an audience that was really hungry for this kind of performer and these kinds of artists. And so absolutely. So we just kind of hit on all three of those things. So this is the last Resident Bodies Festival coming up in 2020. Who do you think needs to experience this most, either as a listener or as a performer? Oof. I would say I really want people who are interested in vocal music, whether they are vocalists or they're writing vocal music or they uh, enjoy listening to vocal music, 
I want those people to come. Being on the performing end of things, I, I always wanted composers to come or people who were creating and who weren't doing it themselves so that they could know more. And I always found that composers were intimidated about writing for The Voice because everyone is so different. Rather than being intimidated by that, I wanted them to be inspired by the amazing humans behind The Voices and those stories and what each of those people could do. Lucy, thank you so much for hanging out today. I really appreciate um, you taking the time to talk to me. Thank you. Vocalist Lucy DeGray. What a joy will be when his face I behold Living gems at his feet to lay down As of April, the Resonant Bodies Festival is still scheduled to go ahead on September 10th, but keep an eye on the website for updates. This interview was produced by me, James Bennett II, with Max Fine and Rosa Gullen. Our technical producer is George Wellington. Lucas Kroengrimberga is our executive producer. You're listening to WQXR Classical New York in conversation.